you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. There we go. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from the com. The Chris Voss Show. I'm excited to go low this time. Hey, guys, uh, welcome to the podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. I've uh, been loving the wonderful people who have been going to the show and giving us five stars and putting great referrals on there. We certainly appreciate the people who review the show and tell us how much they love it. And when you do it, I actually decide to go out and make another show. But if you don't, then I go, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't make another show. So if you get a chance, go to iTunes in the referral section, and there's like a little place there. It's free, too. It doesn't charge you anything at all. And you can leave like a five-star review or a five-star review, or even if you just want to do a five-star review, you can leave those on the Chris Voss Show. Tell us how much you like the show, or tell us, you know, maybe how we can make it better. But I think you'll love the new direction the show's going. We're having a lot of great uh brilliant authors that we've invited to the show. We've opened up to uh, a whole wide swath of publishers that are sending us the most brilliant minds in the universe. And uh, our lawyers say we can't say that because, uh, you know, we don't know how full the universe is. So it might be a bit of uh, overstatement, but we're going with it. I mean, cause who's going to sue us aliens. They're not coming here. Yeah. And they don't know law either. So anyway, guys, uh, we have a most brilliant guest. This gentleman uh, knows it all. He's going to shape and uh, make your brain bigger to a point that you may need a larger cranium. You can order those on Amazon, I think, now. His name is Steve Wendell, uh, and he's a doctor as well. Uh, Dr. Wendell is the head of behavioral science at Morningstar, where his team develops and tests practical techniques to help people overcome behavioral obstacles with their finances. Maybe you can help me with my coffee. Steve is the author of three books on applied behavioral science and founder of the nonprofit Action Design Network, which educates the public about behavioral science, product design. He has two wonderful kids who don't care about behavioral science. So there you go. Uh, welcome to the show, Steve. How you doing, buddy? Thanks for having me, Chris. Things are going great. How are you? I, I love that last part. I mean, are there any kids that care about behavioral it's science? It's only the truth. <laughs> I mean, do you learn more from business in your study of behavioral science, or do you learn it more from your kids? In oh. you know, <laughs> it's always like, can I can I keep their attention for ten seconds or fifteen? If I'm at fifteen, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I found something that really works. Is that when you're holding the iPad you're about to give them or the phone? Is that, is that, that <laughs> Yeah, works? sadly. Yeah. Sadly, My friends are friends. real. I know how that works. But, you know, I honestly, if I, I would have had kids, if I had known that you could just hand them an iPad and say, call me in 18 years, um, which is what I would have done. I mean, <laughs> way cheaper than military school. Um, so anyway, uh, let's talk about your book. You've got your book out, and let's give this p- book a plug. It's from O'Reilly, and it is called Designing for Behavioral Change, Applying Psychology and Behavioral Economics. And this is going to be really interesting. I know might, people might hear that and be like, wow, this might be too smart for me, but we're going to make you smarter from this, and you're going to see how it's going to apply in your business and everyday life. What are the plugs people can look you up on the interweb, Steve? Sure. So um, best place to go is, of course, Amazon, the book's available. But if you want more information, check out behavioraltechnology.co. And there you will find both a summary of the book. You'll find uh, some of the key lessons. You also find a short and free guide that walks you through what all this stuff is about and how you do it. Now, you have three books total, correct? That's right. Yep. Do you want to plug the other two books just for fun? Sure. I mean, uh, this, this is the one that's of general interest. Um, but the, uh, the second book I did, it was called Improving Employee Benefits. It's particularly mm-hmm. how you apply behavioral science in an HR and, uh, and benefits context. And the third one is completely different. It is actually a, a very personal book about the application of behavioral science in spiritual practice, not telling people what they should believe, but rather, if you wanted to meditate, how might you uh, make the space for that? Oh, so, there you go. There you go. That's important, especially right now in our crazy times and some of the depressing things that are happening. Meditation uh, is good. I'm probably about ready to start. I'm going to meditate for the next year and not come out of it. Um, that or I'm going to astroplane. One of the two. Uh, hand me a beer. 
Uh, anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, so let's talk about what this book is. Well, let's first let's get a lay of your life and what motivated you to get into this field and uh, write these books. Yeah, sure. So I got into behavioral science because of abject failure. I was building product, as I guess most people do. I was building product, in this case, uh, a product that was telling people to save for the future, to prepare for retirement, et cetera. And we got a big, fat no-duh from our users. Yeah, of course you got to save for the future. I know that. <laughs> people didn't actually do it. And so I had the joy of learning from some of the, some of the leading behavioral economists and behavioral scientists in the field. And I said, all right, well, try this, try this. And over time, I built that into my PhD and built that into my studies. So it came from trying a very traditional approach to building product and doing marketing and learning that there's a better way. Awesome sauce. Awesome sauce. And I've always been study, I've always been interested in the study of people's behavior and their choices and everything. I grew up in a cult and I've always been, you know, and escaped it. Uh, I've always been studying as to why people make the choices they do, why they make crazy belief systems, why they have, you know, scotomas or blind spots and why they behave the way they do. In fact, a lot of people sit around this podcast and go, what is the behavioral science behind Chris Voss? So hopefully you'll enlighten us. <laughs> enlighten so, them and they can start going. What, so that's what's been going on this whole time. So when I think about it as um, people are strange, but there's structure to that strange. We can you understand sound, why people, okay, maybe, maybe not. Some you sound like girls I meet on Tinder. I'm sorry. I had to get that joke in there. My apologies <laughs> for interrupting you. My apologies. So um, should we look at like, why does, you know, I do a lot of finance. Why do people say they want to save and don't do it? Why do people say they want to exercise and don't do it? Why do they say, hey, I really love your product, and they never hear from them again? Sometimes it's because they're lying. But mm-hmm. often that's actually not the case, especially if you have a good product, a good service, a good thing. And so behavioral science studies why that happens, why there's a gap between what we say, what we sincerely want to do, and what we actually do the gap between intention and action. And then most importantly, we study how to fix that. Hmm. And it's really exciting stuff. That sounds like more the study of what happens on New Year's Eve when you make resolutions in the study (laughs) of of the next year. (laughs) But yeah, okay, I get it. So um, give us a rundown of some of the stuff that you, you talk about in the book. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, first and foremost, we talk about what's going on. What's going on with human behavior, whether that is um, different areas of of behavioral science, whether that is the users of your product, whether it is the customers or the potential customers and whether they engage with you. And there's another area specifically on HR, right, and and employee behavior. Mm -hmm. And so the first part of the book is just here's what we understand. And that we understand that people are fundamentally limited. We're not all intelligent. We don't, you know, we all have limits of attention. And we all have limits of memory, of willpower, et cetera. And that means something, right? That affects how your customers behave, et cetera. We all get guided by emotions, right? Mm -hmm. As we talk about that. Second, the book talks about, okay, so you want to help people overcome this, right? When they actually want to do something, what do you actually do? And so most of the book is a blueprint. It's not a funny stories about people. It is a practical guide to you got a business, you've got a marketing campaign, you've got an HR program. How do you actually help identify that behavioral obstacle and fix it and then measure whether you've actually had an effect? That's the bulk of the book. All right. It's- and in the HR area, does that, does that help uh, HR people understand and improve the quality and output of, of people that are working for the organization? Well, it's, it's sometimes HR folks want folks want their employees to do something they don't want to do. We're not helping there. <laughs> Just, just to be clear, this is all about the gap between intention and action. So somebody who wants to like pick up a new skill, right, at work. And what happens? Somebody who wants to um, really focus and get into this project, but it doesn't happen. That, that, that's those types of applications. Not how do you make your folks uh, stay at work for 23 hours a day. <laughs> I can't really help with that. <laughs> Yeah, I want to be the office space guy where I just go fishing all day or, you know, do something else. <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to do my TPS reports. Um, but no, it, it's it's really interesting to me the behaviors that people want. And I love the science of this because normally the only science that I've ever studied uh, for selling and marketing is like, you know, books on sales. Uh, 
which doesn't give you the whole picture because it just mainly teaches you either how to manipulate or, or sell someone without without really understanding too much their psyche. It just kind of teaches you how to run roughshod over it or use reverse psychology. Awesome. So I think there, there are a lot of thoughtful uh, salespeople who yeah, are they're... effectively behavioral scientists, right? Yeah. And they're thinking like, how do you help close this gap? How do you find the willing the willing buyer? But yeah, yeah. there's there's a there's some junk out there too. Yeah, I mean it's 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 uh, uh, and I think most great salesmen I've ever known are kind of behavioral science. It's always interesting the application of it. I mean, all my great salesmen that I ever had um, were they were really skilled at behavioral science. Uh, and cocaine, um, but uh, mostly, uh, well, maybe just cocaine. Um, but behavioral science was uh, was uh, good because they understood. I mean, as soon as they got on phone, they started figuring out the age of the person. The uh, they just had a real good feel for personalities, and so they yeah. know how to adopt yeah. and adapt and stuff. So it's really interesting. So uh, it's a blueprint for behavioral design, an overview about how to apply behavioral science and product development and yep. communications. And you mentioned you've helped a lot of startups with this sort of data and stuff. Yeah, that's right. So I've worked, for example, with um, 1776, a group out of um, DC, uh, with 500 startups, with a variety of individual shops, et cetera. And almost all new products, almost all new business endeavors are fundamentally about behavior change, right? Because if nothing else, you're saying, you're doing this thing already, I'd like you to do it with my product, right? Mm -hmm. Or I'd like you to do it with my service. And it should be for the benefit of the person, but that's not enough. A value proposition isn't enough. And so what I do is I walk folks through, both in the book and when I'm talking to them in person. So what else is there beyond the value proposition? How do you figure out what's going on? How do you look for the signs of that? And then what do you do as a business, as a product team, et cetera, to adapt, to work with the realities of your users, of your customers' psychology and who they are? Interesting. I mean, it's got to be pretty in-depth because, I mean, there's, there's so many different things that can happen, especially in today's technology. Like in my world, uh, you know, most of my sales was brick and mortar. So it was face-to-face. You yeah. meet with people. And nowadays, you know, companies have much more challenge because they're, you know, using whatever sort of UI they have online and hopefully that's converting. And then you've got your abandoned cart sales and, yeah. and uh, all the different aspects of the flow through of, your, of, your, of, of a customer perspective you know, becoming a customer and going through the whole thing. Sometimes when they walk away, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, so uh, give us some other tips that are in your book there. Yeah, sure. So I think one of the key differences between like a traditional sales process and both designing a product and designing marketing is scale. What this allows you, you mentioned that, hey, it's, it's a much different world and you've got to deal with all this, the digital architecture and the digital path. But there's also a tremendous opportunity there, which is you can see across a million people, right? If you've got them or whatever your, 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 uh, your base is, you can see what's going on, what's going wrong, and be able to fix it at scale. And that's the real excitement. And so one of the things the book books looks into is, okay, how do you combine data science? How do you combine the, 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 um, the tagging and, 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 and tracking of different users' behavior, right, and see where are people struggling? Where does it look like, hey, people are really interested in this, but they're, they're, they're faltering here. Mm-hmm. And this goes a step beyond just the normal page drop-off. Mm-hmm. You see, okay, well, hmm, is it an issue of a reminder? Is it just the fact that often products fail and, and efforts at changing behavior fail because of mere attention? Mm-hmm. Somebody can look you in the eye and say, yeah, I'm with you. I want to do this. And then they're kid comes in the room and they're distracted and they never come back and think about it right oh by the way i think a lot of bad kids distracting me no you you look like hey maybe a report comes up or maybe the greatest of all evils to behavior change they start watching netflix (laughs) or tiktok (laughs) (laughs) like how do you compete with that yeah so many good efforts fail simply because of attention we focus on value proposition we focus on how good this is for people we should be focusing first on attention because if you can't cast, if you can't cross that threshold, value proposition, emotion, uh, urgency, all those things just aren't relevant. And it's got to be quite challenging for people because, I mean, you can be focused on doing something, maybe buying something on a card or researching a product, and then yep. 
bing, you get something on your phone and, you know, you're like, oh, and you see what Twitter says now. And then, you know, it's gone. One of my biggest problems that I have is, is I'll sign up for services for a trial because I'll be okay. I want to try that. I kick a lot of tires on a lot of stuff and, (laughs) and uh, I'm kind of open-minded as well, let's try it and see, you know, let's see. Because sometimes I try something, I'm like, hey, this is a magic bullet. And so, um I'm notorious, and I think a lot of people are, for, like, signing up for trials, and then I'll get the confirmation email, and that actually ends up taking time out that puts me off a little bit, but I, I understand why it's important. But I, So then I go, okay, wait for the confirmation email, and I go do something else, then I come back and I hit the conversation or confirmation email, and then, uh, and then I kind of start toying with the product again a little bit, and I'm like, okay, well, all right, I got this part done, so I'm just going to hopefully leave this open or I'm going to come back to this and I'm going to kick the tires some more. Right. And 99% of the time I won't come back. And uh, like one of the things I'm going to have a suggestion in my forthcoming book is that people that give trials like that, what they really should do is instead of just giving a seven day trial, well, you, you might be able to tell me if I'm wrong or right on this. Um, My feeling is they should give me seven days, but like seven days of usage where I actually use the product because then I have an ability to get gamified and addicted. Um, but maybe, well, I don't know. I, I'm saying it fails 99% of the time playing that game because I just don't follow through on it. And then, and then the, by the time I remember, inevitably, for some reason, my brain goes, Hey, remember that thing you signed up for a trial? You should check yeah. that out. And then I log in. It's like, yeah, five minutes ago, that just expired. When you're going to need a credit card, and you're like, "Well, I won't test that product and get hooked on it." Exactly. But I don't know. Is it is it better to do one or the other, or maybe it's better to hold a gun to people's head and be like, "You must try this in the next seven days, or the hell with you." <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think that's a that's a great question, right? And because look, I get distracted, I forget everybody does, right? So I look at um, okay, if it's seven days of use, well, how are you going to get people? in the door in the first place to use it, right? So let's just say they mm-hmm. sign up for the trial, right? They're kicking the tires. Um, what's going to make them think about using it? Yeah. Try it out, whatever. I think that's, that's, that's an obstacle even before that. Um, hey, you know, uh, even before you get to the time is, uh, the time is expired. Because what we think is, hey, somebody has thought about this enough to sign up for a trial. What we don't think is, and then right afterwards, they've been distracted. Mm-hmm. We should think is our products, our services are competing with every single thing in a person's life. Every dang thing. And again, Netflix, the great evil. Yeah. What do we do? So one, what, what most companies do is they just try to yell louder. They try to say, pay attention to my product. Read my email. <laughs> I get like, the emails that say, hey, so that trial there. <laughs> yeah, I know, like. Did you forget your trial? Did you abandon your shopping cart? I'm like, yeah. okay, everyone is doing that. Everyone is basically trying to raise the volume. Instead, when are things quiet mm. and you can be heard? In other words, we call, it, we, we call it the structure of one's time. When can we find times in our users and our customers and our employees' lives when they have the bandwidth? Mm. When can we align with their lives rather than trying to make them conform to our goals, mm-hmm. right? So I've run, I've run lots of randomized control trials, right? Uh, formal experiments over the years. And one of the ones I really love uh, is, is on simple timing. So you take the exact same communication, same sender, same message, same subject line, everything, same call to action. And you just change when you do it. Mm. I can easily get a 75 to 200% swing just on the timing. Wow. Right. And these, and these are unreasonable times, right? I'm not comparing it to like midnight on Saturday. You're not writing me at 2 a.m. waking me up. <laughs> but it, it, so I did this with, um, with one of the largest employers in the world, large minimum wage population. Right. Mm-hmm. And for them, a lot of these folks were working two jobs, yelling at them. Heck, they're, they're going from job to job. Right. Yeah. Instead, you had to find the one time that they had bandwidth, which in this case was Sunday evening. Mm. Huge response. Right. Do it during the week. Nothing. Yeah. But now another working, problem. they get them home, they want to go yeah, right. here, watch the tube, fight with the old lady, beat the kids. Yeah. 
something sort of like that, but hopefully not all of it. Yeah. yeah don't beat the kids, people. That's yeah, maybe anyway. not that. So yeah, then I did another one. I did the same thing, just replicated it with a big manufacturing company, completely different. For them, their lives, like how they worked, their schedules was, you know, Tuesday morning. That's by far the best. We had something like, um, yeah, like a 300% drop off if we tried the weekend for them. Because they just were not, they were doing, that was not their life. Mm-hmm. And so the big lesson is you got to know your people. You got to get out and say, not only do I, do, what do I want to accomplish, but mm-hmm. what are the real behavioral obstacles in, my, in the lives of my users? And it's not only trial and error is a real big thing. You know, trying stuff, yeah. uh, monitoring what works, what doesn't work. Um, you know, we, I've had a, I built a giant LinkedIn group from zero to 135,000. And, uh, one of the things we used to do is we used to do a lot of marketing and it used to be, they would let us blast out to everyone's email that was in the group, or at least yeah. that, that allowed it, which was most of the people. Uh, and we could get just a huge amount of hits and clicks and, and people that were engaged with the group back then. Um, and we we played, we used to play the experiment game with mm-hmm. when was the best time to send that. And it was really interesting. The best time to send it was Pacific time, 7 a.m. Uh, on LinkedIn to the groups. Uh, Pacific time, 7 a.m. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> on Tuesdays. That's what I'm missing. Cool. cool. On Tuesday. And if you send on Monday, that thing wouldn't get read. <laughs> yeah. Send on Friday, that thing wouldn't get read at all. <laughs> people mm-hmm. at that point are just watching Netflix on at work. And, uh, and then I, I guess I'm, it's like on Monday they would do all the work. And then on Tuesday, like, Hey, I want to screw around a little bit and play with my, what, what's what I need some distraction. Um, yeah. and Wednesday or Thursday, like somehow after Tuesday, like Wednesday or Thursday down into Friday, we just like, uh, you know, totally crescendo down into nothing. And, uh, um, and then, you know, Monday, no one would mess with it. And you couldn't do Saturday or Sunday on LinkedIn because like people don't even check into yeah, that. Right. Um, no, yeah, it, great example. That's when we would see just the most explosion. Like if you went 15 minutes earlier, half an hour earlier, 15 minutes later, half an hour later, just would not pull the money like like that seven o'clock boom right on the dot. Uh, awesome. Would. And so, yeah, I've seen a lot of this behavior. What about the ethics of? Uh, well, before we get into ethics, mm-hmm. um, so. Do you have, I suppose gamification, the study of gamification comes a lot into behavioral science, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of crossover between our communities. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I've always been enthralled by that because, mm-hmm. but part of the same way, like when you, when I go to a website, the UI is really important to me. It's got to be really intuitive. Intuitive is a big thing. And we review a lot of products here on the Chris Foss show. And that's another thing I look for is intuitiveness. Like how easy I can pick up a product, figure out how it works and not have to read the manual because, you know, reading's hard, eh? Um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you, the, the, the sooner I can play with it and fall in love with it, the, the sooner I can have fun with it, which doesn't happen with any furniture from Ikea. Um, and um, so, so the gamification of stuff and the UI and, and, the, and that pathway into gamification has always interested me because I love video games. Mm-hmm. And, and so anytime I either have a new video game that I review or a video game that, you know, is coming out with an update, it's always interesting to me as to how the new version of whatever gamification they're using and, and how they're laying it out and the steps and, and all that stuff. Um, it's kind of funny. Now when I play video games, I'm like, I'm being gamified right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I can feel the manipulation. They just want me to jump through this hoop, and I'm going to do it. Yeah, but if you have a good time, hey, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. And and it's too bad, well, like, people's websites and products can't, I don't know, be as fun as video games. Maybe, maybe yeah. like, when people are starting to sell me stuff on Amazon, there needs to be a shooting gallery or something. You, know, you shoot the book to buy it or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm too far ahead, or maybe I'm just smoking crack. One of the two. Well, I if can't I see anything the fattest, so, so. If I, I am, I'm the fattest that. crack smoker there is. So there's that. That's an Artie Lang joke. Um, so anyway, let's talk about the ethics of uh, behavioral science. The discussion of the ethical challenges that confront designers uh, is that. Well, tell us what that is. Yeah, sure. So behavioral science is confronting the same challenges that marketers, product makers, designers, et cetera, faced for a long time, which is, are you helping people? 
right? Mm-hmm. Are you doing something that your users want, doing something that your customers want, et cetera? And to me, that's just, that's just table stakes, right? First and foremost, if you're not providing value, if you're not actually doing something that benefits them and is something they want, you shouldn't be doing it. Whether it's behavioral science or whether it's some other, whether it's some other toolkit, doesn't matter, right? But I think what is, um, and thankfully there, there, uh, there's been some attention to that and, and in the behavioral community saying, look, yeah, we face the same struggle everyone else does. Let's call out some of the mistakes and try to fix that. And there's a, there's a great discussion in the field mm-hmm. on how to, how to ensure that we're, that we're, that we're being ethical with it, and not trying to coerce people. Not trying to Is that kind of like years ago when the, the advertising agencies, you know, there was a time in, I think in the seventies when they were putting a lot of subliminal stuff into advertising and, and they, they yeah. finally had to come out and go, we got to knock this off. This is like, isn't yeah. cool and ethical. I think, I think some of it's still being done. A few, you know, camel cigarettes and stuff, yeah. but, um, but what what are some examples of unethical stuff that's being done in that? Yeah, so some of the there there are sadly some high profile examples. So uh, Uber, for example, their behavioral science team worked on. Yeah, I know. I, I you know I didn't want to surprise people too much with the example. We're gonna be here for hours. <laughs> yeah, I know. We we could be here for a while. No, let's give one example. Um, and it's actually it's it's many of the um, many of the gig economy platforms mm. punish people for taking breaks. Right, uh-huh. they build it into the platform where. Uh, if you don't click accept, you get punished, right? Mm. And so what does that mean? It means, do you really want a driver who is making more money for Uber, but hasn't been able to take a bathroom break and is feeling real tired, but still driving you, oh. right? And so actually New York Times came out with a story just talking about the digital manipulation mm. of how it was structured to maximize the profit, right? And look, companies need to make money. Yeah. It's fine. But if you're not starting with an understanding of your users and then you're not building a long-term relationship, right? There's, there are other examples. There's, uh, there's one from a company called ThreadUp that um, used, uh, used some social proof, right? Which is, uh, Alexandria just bought this. This person's looking at this right now. She loves it. This was, uh, this was like a dress and, and, uh, and a clothing, uh, clothing site online. The only problem was it was complete crap. Oh, wow. There was nobody. They <laughs> just had a little algorithm that was making up names. I've often wondered about those sites. I've seen that, and I've wondered oh, about man. that. Like, yeah, there's a lot of people buying this trash. <laughs> yeah, and again, this, this, isn't, this isn't something that's unique to behavioral science, right? But we, um, you, you'll see um, in the design community, there's a guy named Harry Brignol who mm-hmm. has a site called Des- uh, Dark Patterns. Talks about the Roach Motel, the site that you get in and you just can't get out, right? They hide. <laughs> or like Amazon, try to cancel your membership. Your prime oh, yeah. membership to Amazon. Yeah. It's like trying to cancel an old AOL membership. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you or, call them and you're like, hey, or suckering away? the technique of how to trick people to revealing their private information, right? Yeah. Um, yeah there's a lot of that what's, going on. What's really cool about behavioral science is there's a literature about behavioral science of ethics, mm-hmm. how our environment, how the design of a like a workplace affects whether you're ethical or not. And so we have some tools to help people just walk the walk. Yeah, I think I see a lot of it in. Uh, I believe I think it's the Match dot com corporation. There's there's some corporation that owns like all the dating apps, and oh, Ashley Madison know. was one oh, of the man. companies that got into. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't know. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, Ashley Madison was one of the people years ago who got into trouble <laughs> where they were either having AI fake profiles, feign interest in you, or they they actually had hired people. But I think they had fake profiles too, like oh, they had man. like user generated profiles, um, and I see a lot of that when I'm on between Tinder or Bumble. Like I see a lot of that in Bumble. Like I'll ignore <laughs> Bumble for a while, and then I'll get on, and like suddenly there's like 20 chicks after me, and they're like, and they don't show their faces, and they're like, there's 20 chicks that are interested <laughs> in you, and you're like, I don't know about all that, and they're like, for 29.95, you can see what's behind door number or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, and I've fallen for it a couple of times and, uh, and, and they're not really interested in you. They just, they maybe swiped right or something, but they're not like, Hey, I really want to meet that dude. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look at this face, seriously. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but then it's kind of funny after I stay on Bumble for a while, like the first like couple of days, it just humps my legs with notifications and, Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then. If you use it, then it keeps humping your leg. But then if you fall off and quit using it, it stops bothering you as much. Hmm. Um, 
you know, and then every now and then it'll feed you like somebody's really interested in you and they're still not really interested. And so I see like the gaming that goes on with the whole thing. And after the Ashley Madison debacle with the fake profiles and the, the fake AI that was like feigning interest in people, um, to keep them on the site, uh, I imagine that would fall under the ethics issues. Yeah. I mean, I think just real simple, is this something you would want done to you? Is this something you'd want done to your family? Right. Because there are so many cool things we can do to help our users, to help our customers. Why do we have to resort to trickery? Right. Just spend a little bit more time, learn about the amazing techniques. You mentioned gamification, right? So Mm -hmm. I think of behavioral science as a superset of what's used in gamification. That's like five main techniques, right? In the guide, in the book, I talk about what a hundred from social proof to peer comparisons, the loss aversion, just so many different things that you can do to help people overcome behavioral obstacles. There's mm-hmm. such wealth out there. Why should we, why should we try to coerce people? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting game. I mean, marketing, you're persuading people, but then there has to be this ethical line of, of not overly manipulating or being deceptive, I suppose. Yeah. Or you actually want to keep customers and you want them to, you know, to give you that five star, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So give them what they're looking for. Find the people who really want it, who, for whom you can, you can resonate with their yeah. lives and behavioral science can help you do that. Yeah. Most people just tune in the five stars for the car crash and the Chris Foster podcast, but then they, they bring brilliant people like you on. Um, uh, and so this is interesting to me. Like I said, I've gotten into the gamification of things and why people do stuff. I mean, all my life, just whether it's religion or politics or just behavioral and belief systems, like why people believe, you know, at any time, you know, you meet somebody who believes in there's, you know, we're all blue Martians running around or we're all lizard people or, oh, you know. You, you some, know that? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh. I mean, it's, you know, it's between us Martians, right? Um, but... Uh, and everyone knows they're not blue. They're green. Duh. Uh, so anyway, uh, but it's always been interesting to me how people can believe something and they build this, this supportive belief system around it that, 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 that amplifies it and sustains it. And it's just always been interesting to me how people do that. And then, of course, gamification where, where you see the manipulation. Like now when I get notifications from dating apps, I'm just like, yeah. Okay. So, how are you screwing with me today? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. What's going on, buddy? And yeah. I think that's maybe that's where it ends up bad. Is where, you know, we figure out, we break the fourth wall, and we figure it out, and we go, yeah, yeah I think right. I see what's right. going on here. Right. You know, and so, if you're f- authentic, if you're actually trying to help, right, help people overcome something, then mm-hmm. you don't have that problem. Yeah. Now, you, the uh, like the we call that confirmation bias, right? Where you start oh. to build that worldview that supports it. And it's, it's actually really cool how the mind works. Mm-hmm. Effectively, like somebody will say, hey, the green Martians instead of the blue, when they're looking out across the world, they're actually seeing much more evidence of green Martians, of social security about to fail, right? Of whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Because mm-hmm. it's their mind helping them pay attention or thinking. It's helping them pay attention to this thing. And so a lot of people have heard of confirmation bias. What they probably haven't heard of is you can actually fix that. Mm. You actually, you, you, you can't stop the, the selective attention. What mm. you can do is explain the opposite, which is so, I mean, I do a lot of finance, right? So people who are buying Bitcoin, you just say, explain to me why someone is selling right now. And what that does is it turns the confirmation bias around. They're suddenly paying all the attention to why people are selling. Oh man, maybe there's a problem there or how social security is actually okay, or how the Martians are green, mm-hmm. right? So it's using that bias to, to your advantage. Uh, years yeah. ago, I think it was Anthony Robbins or Lou Tice or somebody I listened to, mm-hmm. and he talked about how, you know, one of the things we do with confirmation bias is it, is it helps balance on our brains and it gives us reassurance that our yeah. choices are right. Like, for example, if you go out and you buy, like, let's say, a red Subaru, 2020 suit red Subaru. As soon as you start driving around, your brain starts noticing all the red 2020 Subarus. And it goes, see, you're smart because other smart people like you, you know, if you don't see any red Subarus, then you're like, maybe I made a bad choice. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's your mind thinking that it's helping you. And tell, of course, it's really screwing you up. 
Yeah, and that's where the real balance lies. Is like, is this is this good information? Is this bad information? You know, and and if you become a obsessive or or manic, um, where you take things to a whole new level. I mean, that's where you really see obsessive compulsive stuff get out of control yep. because yep. because they take a crazy belief system and then all of a sudden they're running into PizzaGate, ready to shoot people up at a pizza parlor because they oh, think man. Clintons have got whatever in there. And I'm not being political. I'm just using the I, example of someone I, I know you know, taking well. some crazy yeah. story and turning anything or QAnon is a good example as well. Yeah. Um, like you just listen to some QAnon stuff or some of the, some, even some of the stuff they've been talking about with uh, COVID and you're just like, did you think that through before? <laughs> just, yeah, I know. I know. It's interesting. And what's what's and amazing it, is that on the political realm, like, okay, there isn't, really hard to touch but when it comes to like when it comes to companies mm-hmm. we've now have this in many ways all around the world we now have a common approach on how to identify these problems and attack them right mm-hmm. so as part of the as part of the book we did a survey of um people applying behavioral science around the world we got about over 40 percent of all of the teams out there responded to this detailed survey it's just awesome really people were very generous with their time and what you find is that we're, we've kind of coalesced, right? From Walmart, I talked to them, for example, right? From their approach to, um, uh, I didn't actually talk to Netflix, but now they're folks. Uh, Ideas 42, <laughs> um, like the UK government, New Zealand government, these tiny nonprofits in South Africa, Armenia's consulting shop, like all around the world. It's, we now have a way to, to identify that problem you're talking about. And say, okay, what do we do about it? And how do we test it? And that is what's really cool. Hmm. So we move from just, man, this people do crazy stuff, like you were talking about, to, okay, we actually have a playbook here. We know what nice. to do. It's not perfect. But figure we out how to fix this. Yeah. <laughs> but we've got, we've got a playbook on what to do. And that's, that's pretty exciting. And that's just coalesced over the last few years. Have you ever studied or gotten into like AI and, and, you know, some of the different issues we're seeing rise of facial recognition technologies and stuff like that? Yeah. So I don't, I don't work in, um, uh, in AI. Uh, I do, I have done quite a lot of work in, um, in machine learning and, and mm-hmm. what's now called data science. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and that's because for behavioral science, you often have to analyze detailed information about anonymous, but individual behavior. It's kind of a stepping stone to, uh, to doing, uh, to changing behaviors, understanding what the heck's going on first. <laughs> Your data tells us who you are. <laughs> yeah. well, anonymous, right? We always we always do anonymously. Yeah, that's that's always interesting to me. Is that where is that where my surveys, or my stuff is going? When it says, "Hey, do you do you mind if we send anonymous reports to to uh, the company?" Is that is that where that's going? We 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 certainly do those. They're not they, they go lots of places, but yeah, we we certainly do those too, right? You you want to understand what what problems people were facing note to self start erasing browser history uh let's see what else do we have? Oh, if, you're, if you're thinking of it now you are well, it's, it's well yeah, i'm screwed time. i'm screwed yeah, yeah steve jobs yeah. and his centipede got me a long time ago um uh customer insights is behavioral changes yeah. how market researchers and customer insight professionals can move from customer intent to a deeper understanding of uh unmet needs of the end user and how to meet them yep. I have a lot of unmet needs. One was my father didn't hug me enough as a child, but I'm not sure anyone can help me with that. Maybe Match.com can. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, can't help you. Sorry. That's the whole reason I had you on, man. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry, I couldn't help pulling that one. Um, but uh, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of different things that companies need to go into, especially from a tech aspect or website build, UI build, gamification. Um, and ways to uh, keep customers happy, keep them engaged. Um, you know, like I say, UI is really important to me. Um, I'm not actually a fan. I, maybe there are some people the fan of the little pop-ups that walk you through how to do a product. I'm a, I'm a pretty easy assimilator, like, and so I don't. That actually irritates me when I see that. But I, I see the form and function of why it's important, and sometimes. I skip over that and then regret it later because I'm like, what did that other thing do? There's a box that says something cool and I can't find it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's a tough business, you know, UI design and and making making it so customers can really stay engaged with the product, love it, and even even understand how to use it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and those those walkthroughs are 
when your product is too complex for people to just figure it out, you need that. So let's devote some time on, on aligning with your users. So they'll just figure it out instead rather than needing that walkthrough. Yeah. And then, and then price points too. I mean, I got into it with one company recently where they didn't, they, they said, you know, you got, you have to pay if you want this feature Mm -hmm. and they, you know, they had a tier process and I was like, okay, well I'll pay for that. And they didn't really specify. They just said, you have to upgrade. They didn't specify which upgrade to get that feature. And so I ended up buying, you know, the cheapest tier yeah. I'm like, well, you know, they said upgrade. Mm-hmm. That looks like, you know, I kind of looked down the list of things. I'm like, yeah, it must give me a thing. You know, they didn't <laughs> specify what it was. I just do the cheap tier. You know, they the cheap tier, and then it turns out that didn't work for me. Yeah, uh, they're like, yeah, you got to buy the other tier all the way up. I was pissed. <laughs> I was like really pissed because I was like, you guys did not explain in your systems. And I went back and and went through the stuff, and I'm like, it doesn't. It just says like a general upgrade. It doesn't say you need to upgrade yeah. to XYZ package or several of XYZ packages if you want that. And that's how you lose customers. Like I was so pissed. Yeah, right. I was so pissed from the experience. I told them to blow it out and I don't want to hear from them again. And it was a pain in the butt to get my money back. And, and, uh, and they just ruined what I thought would be a great experience. And all because they don't have that proper walkthrough of, uh, of the UI and stuff. Exactly. Right. And it's just, it's not a good experience for folks. Yeah. Instead, if you spend a little time, right, identify the obstacle. Is it one of, you know, for, for people trying this feature, is it one of attention? As I mentioned before, is it one of um, like, do they have a strong emotional reaction or like, oh, it doesn't seem like it's for me or, you know, I don't Are they going to try and trick me? Like, like you were talking about before you start, you start getting wise to wise to the tricks people are doing. Is it, is it actually the value proposition? Is it uh, procrastination? These are the types of things we look for. And then, hey, if people might want that upgrade and want that feature and they're procrastinating, cool, we've got some techniques that'll, that'll um, for those who are willing, it can help them cross that barrier, right? If it's a question of like this emotional reaction, we've got some techniques that can help with that, right? So uh, let me, um, let me give, a, give, a, give a practical example. So uh, now this, one, this one's in an opt-in, opt-out context, but of course a lot of companies are facing now. Um, so it was uh, Leon on my, on my team. So we had a pretty standard um, opt-in process where we said, hey, do you want to receive more information from our company? And I don't know about you, but whenever I see that, I say, uh, okay, moving on. Right? You, just, you don't even read the thing. You don't even think about it. You're like, that's something I can safely ignore. And just make sure they're not trying to trick me in the language into saying yes here, right? Mm-hmm. So. But Leon said, look, well, we know that some people actually want our information. I know, crazy. Some people actually want it. So how do we get from, that's what we call a system one response, right? This intuitive, emotional, just quick, get it done to something where people stop and think. And those who really want your information, right, who actually want to talk to you or potential prospects will mm-hmm. engage with you. She said, make it look unfamiliar. Add friction. In other words, completely the opposite of what almost every marketing text tells you. Oh, wow. Right? And so he said, look, because the core problem is one of a patterned emotional response, mm-hmm. let's try and break out of that. So mm-hmm. he made it intentionally look different. In this case, it was a drop down, et cetera, changed the language a bit. And it slowed people down enough that they could actually read and see what was available. Mm-hmm. 500% increase. Wow. Any randomized control trial. So this isn't blown smoke. This is a random, random assignment, uh, uh, identical groups. Just a huge effect because he understood what the underlying behavioral problem was and how to resolve it. And again, we've got a dozen techniques for every one of diff- these different things. It's not about tricking people. It's about can you actually connect with folks and see what is it they care about. You know, I, I had that with our website, the Chris Foss show. I have to recheck as to what we're doing there. Cause we did some experimenting with a, with a new program that does, um, that, that, that does some of the notifications for new posts. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's that pop-up that everyone has nowadays where it goes, do you want to accept notifications? Oh yeah, of course. Browser? Right. Right. Um, but I know that there used to be a time where I hated when I would go to a website and like, as soon as you land, like, Boom, do you want more information? Yeah. Do you want to sign up for our email? And you're like, I man, I haven't seen your website long enough to figure out if I want to hear from you people. Yeah. 
And that used to be a big beef with me. I think we made her pop up one time at either five or 15 minutes. Somehow I was looking at the bounce rate and I was tweaking it. And, and I found that was a, that was a high, that was a high contributor to bounce rate was, was -hmm. that pop up coming way too early before people could really get committed. Um, You know, even being able to read a few things. Uh, One of the things that I really hate, I think uh, there's a few European, I think New York post does it and some other Mm -hmm. people, uh, in Europe, but they do a pop-up where if you're not a subscriber, they make you do a survey so you can read their news article. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, that just makes me go, F you. Uh, I'm yeah, I know. And I even know. then, they've got, like, some getaway thing that, that like, are you sure you want to go? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like, give me another pop-up. Ask me if I'm even more sure because exactly. I can't get more sure at this point. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting how these different things work and then how they can balance out. And somewhere in there I found, like, the perfect time by experimentation. It was three to five minutes or something yeah. where people could could look at the site. They could poke around a little bit. They could read, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the article was a little bit. <clears throat> and then they had the pop-up come. And so if you try to – you basically try to close too fast or you try and – um, you try and uh, close the deal too fast, then you're going to lose the um, then you lose the thing. Yeah, and so think of like you you got that through trial and ex- trial and error, right? And from your own experience, mm-hmm. the problem that that many people face, right, who haven't had the experience experience that you've had in the field, is there are an infinite number of things you could test, mm-hmm. right? What behavioral science does, what designing for behavior change does, is it gives you a Theory. It gives you a framework to think about this stuff and pick from that infinite space. Say, okay, is it X? Is it Y? Is it Z? And then in terms of the insight side, right, that you, that you mentioned before, in the end, it's about are you actually connecting with that customer? Are you actually making a strategic move for your business? Are you adapting to the changing times of COVID, et cetera? It's not whether people say they are. It's not whether you're getting a sense of, hey, might this work? What what behavioral science says is not only that understanding of, okay, here's how the mind works and here's some tools, but it's a commitment to actually measuring in the field. And so that's how we can do insights work as experimentation. We want to know, does this actually work better for our users? Not just whether they say they are, because there's that same gap between intention and action in insights work all the time. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is a route, as, as we talk about in a marketing insights context, market research context, a route to get past the word and get to the deed. There you go. There you go. Behavioral science. Why, why, think, why people do – you know, someone can make a lot of money in behavioral science is figuring out why husbands do things for their wives because that's, that's another thing. But that's, I'm, uh, I'm not going to go there. It's not in marketing and stuff. I'm not, but not going to go there. That's a question I get a lot. Why the hell do you do that? I don't know. Um, but that's probably more psychology than it is behavioral yeah. science, maybe. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole different realm of getting on the couch, if you will. Um, so uh, any uh, last thoughts we need to uh, know about your book, how it works, what it's about, and all that good stuff to pick up a copy? Yeah. I mean, if, I just, if, if we think of kind of a business level, what this stuff means, we've talked a lot about the practitioner what it takes to do this. Like there is this blueprint that you can, that you can make from a business perspective. The, the, mm-hmm. the kind of the quick summary is companies all around the world over just the last five years have started to pick, have started to do this and it is exploding. And there's a good reason for it because it helps make more effective and ethical marketing, right? Cause it makes mm-hmm. products that, not only promise that value or could deliver that value, but actually do it. That can close that gap between what your product could do and what it actually does. That can help employees use all the benefits, value what's, you know, in the same way, get that value proposition, make it real for their lives. And from Walmart to Weight Watchers to Netflix to Amazon to tiny little companies all around the world, this stuff is, is going crazy. And it is exciting and it's cool. And again, we've, we've in many ways coalesced around a common approach of behavioral problem solving. So, I, I mean, I think there's, there's just tremendous opportunity here for, for companies, organizations, et cetera, that aren't currently involved to learn what's going on. And do a lot of companies nowadays have a behavioral design department? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Awesome, so um, part of the survey, right, where we got almost half of the teams out there in the world talking about what they're doing is um, about a third of them are in consulting, either external consulting, right, for clients or a kind of an internal group that helps, uh, right? Uh, the other ones are uh, distributed across. They're, they're embedded within design as behavioral designers. They're embedded within um, uh, the data science group, or they're embedded within marketing, sometimes kind of shared between those. That's, mm-hmm. that's where we see the prime application. HR is, is less common, but it's one that's growing as well. So awesome. you can find all of this uh, both in the book and uh, the behavioral team survey is this, uh, I have the results of that that I'm happy to share with folks. Interesting. Technology.com. So what's the best way to pick up the book? What's the best .coms to go to for you? Sure, yeah. So um, to reach out to me to, to learn more, uh, behavioraltechnology.co. Um, it's also just on Amazon, right? It's Designing for Behavior Change. Just look for the second edition. Uh, the second edition just came out with O'Reilly, um, and it talks about the tremendous change in our field and the, and the vast growth that has happened uh, over the last six years. since Awesome first sauce. First one came out. So check it out, my audience. You can get it. It's from O'Reilly Books, Designing for Behavior Change, Applying Psychology and Behavior Economics. This is pretty awesome. Maybe you can read it to your kids or something. Well, they don't care. Yeah, right? They don't care. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I, w- w- isn't that its own form of behavioral economics, you know, trying to argue with the kid over whether or not they want the box of cereal, you know, like yeah. I did with my mom. I'm like, Mom, can we buy Fruit Loops? And she's like, no, we don't have enough money. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I certainly appreciate my. Only honesty. I do anything there. <laughs> things, things you can't. It sounds like it's a fine line between uh, uh, behavior economics and applying psychology, behavior change. Yeah. So yeah. definitely a reason to pick up the book and read it and understand your world better, especially if you're in the business of marketing or CEO or you're running an organization, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, be sure my audience to go to thecvpn.com refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives. This will be appearing on several different shows, book, author, podcast, Chris Voss podcast, and probably startup unicorn podcast. So you can see it there as well. And you can also go to youtube.com for just Chris Voss. If you want to watch the video version of this discussion, you can check it out there as well. Thanks my audience for tuning in. Be sure to stay safe, be well, and we'll see you next time.